Hey, it's Joey from Dismantle Pod. Thanks so much for listening. We've got a great guest today, Caroline Ely from Good Christian Fun. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you for all of our supporters on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash dismantlepod and check out ways that you can contribute to the community here at Dismantle. Here we go with today's episode. You need to maybe expand your imagination of what God could be and maybe think about like, why do you have to insist that God is male? And what are you losing when you insist God is male? Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week we'll be attempting to dismantle or take apart an issue that has or has the potential to be problematic within the church by having a dialogue with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we won't always agree, but we won't argue. Our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges and not barriers. Our guest this week is Caroline Ely. Caroline is the co-host of Good Christian Fun, a podcast that dives into Christian pop culture. She loves three things most in the world, good beverages, her husband Nathan, and her cat Scampy, in that order. <laughs> She's from Pasadena, California, and she works in marketing. Caroline, welcome to The Dismantle. Hello, thank you for having me, Joey. I thought, I'm still <laughs> laughing at that order of things you love. I, uh, I truly forgot that I said, said that to you. Uh, I'm so glad you read it verbatim. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so Caroline, uh, jumping into, uh, some of your backstory, some of our listeners may know you from the, uh, Good Christian Fun podcast, but how did you get introduced to church and faith? What's some of your background with spiritual stuff? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I overshare so much of my life on Good Christian Fun. So if you want to get more, head over there. Um, but I'll, I'll recap a little bit. Um, I am, uh, I was raised in the Christian evangelical church for the most part. Um, and uh, my family growing up, we kind of went to this like Dutch reform church, but we weren't very committed about it. And I never like joined a youth group there because I went to Christian school, which is youth group all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. And so I went to Christian school from like third grade all the way up through high school. And I, I truly, really loved it, and I still do. Um, it was, it was kind of like a perfect environment for me in that, like I have always believed in God, and it was a place where I fit right in, and didn't have a lot of problems with anything, and was able to go full, you know, overachiever mode on stuff. Um, but I also kind of had a weird thing that kind of began in that schooling, whereas where I knew I believed in God, but kind of wasn't ever sure if I was doing it correctly because mm -hmm. it didn't always match with the way I saw other people expressing their faith in God. Like I've never really loved Bible time or um, doing missions work or doing street evangelism. <laughs> like, yeah. It wasn't until like very recently that I realized that's pretty common with Christians. Like a lot of us are uncomfortable around those things, but I just thought like I was in this case, underperforming with my Christianity. Um, mm. And so uh, that uh, that school that I went to through high school and junior high and everything um, was a Calvary Chapel, which I would describe as like a very smooth, conservative Christianity. <laughs> like, like they're not out there protesting at gay weddings or anything, but they're pretty conservative on the inside. And um, like there's a lot of gender roles and there's a lot of, um, 
you know, conservative theology around God, but it pretty black and white. Yeah, but it doesn't really smack you in the face, or at least it didn't for me. Um, okay. And so yeah, so I really loved that, and then I went to college at UCLA, and that was kind of scary for me because I thought, oh no, like I'm this little Christian school girl, I'm gonna get swallowed up by the devil's, you know, public university or whatever. But also, I want to try it, um, and that ended up being like really profoundly a good choice for me too, because um, I, I found that I actually really enjoyed the anonymity of being at a huge school and experiencing a lot of different people's worldviews and getting outside of my bubble. So then um, when I was at UCLA, I immediately joined a sorority because uh, my mom comes from a Southern family with six kids and all the women there are very glamorous and all went to sororities and I thought it was the coolest thing. And so um, I joined one and it ended up being uh, actually a really kind of pivotal thing for me in my faith because while I was there, I was trying to be kind of a, you know, representation, a quote unquote light for Jesus in that space while being confronted with my own like judgmentalism in that space too, and how much I had othered non-believers my whole life and now literally living with them and being in their spaces and seeing, well, like quite often they are much kinder, more compassionate, more open, um, more loving than I am in my function as a Christian. Like that was, that confronted me a lot. And um, there was a lot of focus on like at least for me trying not to be the party girl so that I could be different and set apart and they would know I'm a Christian and believe me they all know um and like I ran like you know a bible study in the house which I would love to be a fly on the wall for now because I have no idea what I said to them um and <laughs> some things that were great and probably you know good effort but some things I would probably regret um And so it was kind of this weird in between where I was starting to realize, like, I thought I was doing the right thing by, you know, infiltrating this house and being a light to them, but also realizing, like, while they had their own issues, they were also fine and, like, not messed up and they were doing really well. And um, so I also, like, made a big deal of not drinking while I was there, at least until I was 21. And at the time, that was another, you know, thing of like, I want my representation in this house to be that, you know, I'm a law abiding, you know, non-party girl or whatever. But I actually kind of regret that now because when I left that house, like I didn't make any close friends with girls in the house that weren't also Christian. And Mm. it still bothers me. (laughs) Like, that's what I did because I wasn't able to really go into their space and be a part of it. And not that I wanted to get blackout drunk, but like, I drew a line in the sand and that was seen and heard by them. And so I never really got close to those people because I couldn't like fully embrace their context. Yeah. Um, And I regret that. And I think it would have been a lot different and probably a lot more effective for both of us, for me and the non-believers in the house, had I just allowed myself to be a part of their world a little bit more. Um, But meanwhile, while I was at UCLA, I also um, joined Campus Crusade, which they now call CRU, C-R-U. Because they figured out crusade is not a great word to use. <laughs> talking about I wonder why it took so long. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, and so, and that was um, that was kind of another interesting like chapter because again, I I really loved Campus Crusade and so many great friendships that I still have came out of that time. 
And um, I met a lot of people who were struggling with their faith, but actually doing the work to figure it out and try to research and learn and get better. Um, okay. Whereas I had just kind of ignored it or pretended like, oh, well, maybe I'm the problem. I'm not going to bring it up. Um, and that was really cool for me. And um, But there were similarly still the issue of like, feeling like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when it came to Christianity and like I was sort of underperforming and I wasn't doing all the things that these hyper-Christian kids seem to be very comfortable doing all the time. Um, so then uh, from there, I uh, graduated and I was going to a church called Reality LA uh, during college and then after college again a great place where I met many friends that I keep to this day, but was still a pretty conservative space and is just kind of all part and parcel of this, this understanding of faith that I'm now kind of undoing because I'm finally willing to admit like maybe this wasn't working so well for me. And yeah. um, for so long I've assumed that I'm the problem and maybe not that like the tools I was given were the problem. And it wasn't functioning and it was making me anxious and it was making me feel insecure because the presentation of who God is was not good. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and so uh, another part of that, too, and I'll, I'll wrap this up soon, is um, I started dating um, a guy who became my husband. And he at the time was going to seminary to become a pastor. And okay. I knew, like, man, I am definitely not going to be a great pastor's wife. Um, I don't feel great about leading a women's ministry or being perfect. And I cuss and I like to drink and all this stuff. And so I think on our second date, I kind of, I kind of put that out to him like, Hey, just so you know, uh, you know, I think it's great. You're doing what you're doing, but I hope you know what you're getting into. Like I am this way. And yeah. I thought you wanted this certain kind of woman. Um, who, you know, goes to three Bible studies and then also runs two other ones and, you know, loves crafts. Um, and he said, uh, he said like, no, I, I know who you are. And like, I, I really like your faith and respect it. And that kind of started a big healing process for me of realizing like, oh, okay. So the way that I express and I experience my faith is very viable and it's still valuable, even if it doesn't quite look as like rah-rah cheerleader as I thought it's supposed to be. And then, so now, um, about a year ago, I started that podcast with Kevin, and um, that has really upended a lot of things for me. And um, it kind of, it forced me to start taking positions on things that I'd been sort of wishy-washy about for so long, like LGBTQ people in the church, about hell, yeah. about what God is like, about evangelism about the evangelical church about race issues and things like this that I'd like maybe been leaning toward a slightly more liberal view, but would have never defended it. Um, right. but now I had all these people who are listening to me and wondering like if I'm going to accept them or not, and if I'm safe for them. And I wasn't doing this to please people necessarily, but it really like sharpened the focus of like, Oh my gosh, my, position on these issues could like drastically affect someone's safety and someone's feeling of acceptance in the church. So I need to decide now. And so that, that has changed a lot of things of that I think about God and, um, 
has, has forced me to kind of take a position and it's been like very, very good because I feel, um, a lot more free and a lot more like myself and like the God that I worship isn't the one that was always given to me, but the one that I've grown to understand and can, can love without holding back anything. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of my nutshell. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And speaking as one of those people who do listen to you, your, you know, putting vernacular to what you just said was actually very inspirational for me Mm. and some of, and some of this show to just say, look, people do take stances on it and they don't care. Um, It's not necessarily to please everybody because look, here are two individuals that are doing it. So, you know, I I guess a a thank you, but, but also uh, you're absolutely right. You're making a difference in the world. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And it's, um, it's funny that like me just trying to find a, a faith that makes me less anxious can be seen as like incendiary, you know, <laughs> like, Yeah, totally. like rebellion in some way. Um, when I'm just trying to feel good at the end of the day and <laughs> trying to like right. love and, God and love other people and make their existence a lot easier. And it's to not yeah. put conditions on my love or my care for them is, is big. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So today we're discussing something interesting. Um, yeah. Something, something many people of faith I don't think are even aware of uh, mm-hmm. that this conversation is actively going on, but that's the gender of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, this is a non-issue because God to them is a male because he sent his son. Uh, but to others, and surprisingly a lot of others, to me, it was surprising, uh, mm-hmm. God is a female. Now, Caroline, I by no means hold you as an expert in this field. Thank you. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but but what's your experience with the different genders of God? Well, it all started when Ariana Grande's God is a Woman came out. Um, that changed a lot for me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so this this topic is something that I've been sort of floating around in my mind, but only very recently has become very important to me. So my soapbox is very new. I've only used it a couple times, so I'll just go ahead and dust off and hop on it. Um, but, uh, so thinking of, uh, God as male has just been a given for me in my life for a long time. And I'm sure for a lot of people in like our tradition of Christianity, um, God in the Bible, all of the pronouns around him are male. Um, the most common metaphors we use for God are male. You know, he's a father, he's a king, he's a warrior, etc. Um, and so the the terminology that we've used pretty much exclusively keeps God in the imagination of a male experience, um, which for most men, they consider like, oh, that's God neutral, you know, (laughs) like the theology of all these men through the years and God is male is just neutral for them. Like that's like, yeah, God's male. What? Okay, let's move on. Um, But uh, it can be really, really profound and special for women. And I think also for men, but especially for women to imagine God as female. And so uh, it's been something I kind of have just recently been trying on in my journey of faith and in my reconfiguration of what I think God is to just not permanently, but to take a, take a little time and only think of God as female. And so when I pray to God or I talk about God, or I think I consider how God would consider the situation, imagining God as female is so powerfully different that I can't even like 
fully express it. But like, just imagine for me, the difference of explaining to my dad what I'm going through to explaining what to my very best friend, my best friend girl, what I'm going through. Um, a girl who knows my experience as a female in society, who understands the difficulties of holding down a career, who understands how I feel about my body and all the pressure I'm under and all that stuff. If you, if you can put that face on God, like it is so much, at least for me, it's so much warmer and so much more recognizable and, um, kinder than it is to, even a friendly male persona the who I still have to translate my life to uh, in one way or another. So that's something I've been kind of trying to figure out. And then in the meanwhile, I picked up a God, a book called she who is by Elizabeth a Johnson. Um, and I haven't finished it again. I'm not an expert uh, okay. <laughs> I'm about like <laughs> two chapters in, but it blew my mind. It's so, it's so like, uh, it's very academic, but it did such a good job of like crystallizing all these feelings I had around this, this idea and explaining why it's not only valuable, but it's like very important and very necessary. Um, so that's kind of a little bit, and I know you had some questions for me on what that may mean. So yeah, ahead. but I'm, but I'm like, I'm good right there. I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I never, I never thought the, the way you crystallized that was absolutely brilliant just to say there are, you know, even from a male perspective, there's things I talk to my dad about, but I don't talk to my mom. Mm -hmm. And and why would why wouldn't we assume that that's happening on a regular basis for multiple people, especially when you're deconstructing your faith? Right. Right. And and like uh, just to imagine like the relationship I have with my mother versus my father, and I'm very close with my mom. Um, and to be able to attribute those that warmth and that kind of love to my divine being is so powerful. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, classically, like God is actually genderless, like it's a spirit, Yeah. but it feels weird to call God it. And so, uh, so we give them personal pronouns, but, mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, there's so much research and so much ancient knowledge about this, but even way back when they debated on whether to call God a person, let alone male or female, like mm. it was, it was seen as rebellious to even give God like humanity. And yeah. then you add in just a patriarchal society. Yeah. And so like, of course they're going to say like, well, it's male. And, um, in this book, I, I, uh, I wanted to say something. You really should read this cause she's going to explain it a lot better. Sure. And I'll link it in I the did. show notes but, um, for you. Yeah. But um, basically, she said, you know, anytime a society is trying to use the, their vocabulary to describe God, they're trying to use like their very best and brightest words, right, to describe what this divine being is. Mm -hmm. And if you decide that the best word for God is male, even if you can talk all day about how equal men and women are, you're saying that male is innately more divine and that you're putting women in a subordinate role. And I think even if you have different ideas about like gender roles for men and women, I think you can agree that we all have equal humanity. But when you only redefine God as a male, you deny us that humanity. 
You deny us our experience. We have to live in your imagination of what God is. And we've seen that, like, I mean, sexism is so rampant around the world, not just here. And there are like real life consequences of that when you reduce the humanity of women. And I think we as a church have committed like a really terrible act of sexism by by doing this. And it's like, there's a chance for us to change and turn back. Oh, and by the way, I'm saying all of this with the assumption that there's a gender binary, which I also don't believe. Hmm. And so there's a whole group of people in between, you know, me as a female and you, Joey, as a male, who don't identify with any of this. And right. like, imagine how they lost they must feel with our definition of God. So right. like, let's have everyone get a try of letting themselves be represented in the thing that we find most divine. Now, you alluded to this earlier that the Bible uh, is highly allegorical within some of those. God actually uses uh, imagery of a woman to describe himself. As I was doing some research for this, uh, Hosea 13 describes God as a mother bear. Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. describes God as a mother eagle. Later in the same chapter, God says he gave birth to you. Isaiah Mm -hmm. 66, God's described as a mother comforting uh, her children. Do you think that these are just allegory for us to understand, or do you think that there's something more to the nature of God that could be feminine? Um, what I think about those is that um, through metaphor, God is trying to explain the expansive mystery of who they are. Mm-hmm. And God uses a lot of male metaphors. I think that God is using basically our tools to help us understand things and the things that we can understand best are relationships. You know, the relationship I have with a friend or with a mother or with a colleague or with a stranger all have uh, a different flavor of what God is like. Mm -hmm. And so I think God purposely used those female metaphors to remind us that the relationships that women have with each other or with everyone are also an expression of what God is like. And when you deny that, you deny a huge aspect of what God is like. And you lose. You, we all lose if we don't right. have that. I see over and over that God refers to himself as father. Uh, most of the, uh, the Jewish records record him as father um, in our modern context. That usually means male. Uh, but mm-hmm. as you said, you know, things are being redefined now in our current culture. And throughout those names of God, one of them is, um, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not Jewish, uh, (laughs) Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And if you actually uh, deconstruct that a little bit, the example of that is a nursing mother providing Mm -hmm. for her newborn. Mm. Um, Why do you think that what I would consider the most most feminine act ever is used to describe God? Because women rock. That's true. <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, yeah, because what special care that is and something that's so exclusive to someone with female body parts can understand and can provide for. And I think nursing mothers would tell you that that connection with the child is so profound and so unlike anything else. Sure. I don't have, I have never done it, but I've heard. Um, 
And yeah, I've so, watched I've watched my wife do it, and like, there's <laughs> just a connection that I can't tap into. Yeah, and I think that's such a gift from God of giving women even even just like an exclusive experience of love and of connection that raises our value and our position. Hmm. And it should be noted too that I mean, the metaphors that God uses are not just warmth and maternal care. He also describes himself as a mother bear ripping up and attacking people if we go after the cubs. So the ferocity of women too is recognized. And um, I was doing some research on this too. And uh, the Hebrew weird for spirit, so the Holy Spirit was actually feminine. And so for a long time in the Hebrew church, they referred to the Holy Spirit as female. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? And so only recently was it change to neutral and then to masculine to just make sure everyone feels safe and male. <laughs> and How so sad. I, yeah, I know. And so I feel like, again, we're just, I think a lot of people would say, well, the Bible describes him as male. So he's male. Um, and I think you're forgetting that the Bible was decided by men and it was chosen and collected and pulled together. And yet there are still so many examples of women and there's metaphors of women that made it through And so you need to maybe expand your imagination of what God could be and maybe think about like, why do you have to insist that God is male? And what are you losing when you insist God is male? Hmm. Uh, Now, we can't talk about this topic without the book gone movie, The Shack. Uh, I don't know if you're (laughs) I don't know if you've seen it or read it. I haven't seen it yet. I should, though. Uh, it's a heart wrenching story, especially if you've got kids. Like I read it before I had my daughter, and I can't read it again. Oh. But but just to sum it up, it talks about grief and loss. God is portrayed as a curvy black woman, and of course the critics critics went nuts. Right. Um, pastors nationwide crucified this artistic depiction of God and and the Holy Spirit as an Asian woman with a Hindu name. Of course. Mm. Um, do you find that offensive or expansive for our imagination? <laughs> I think you know the answer is no. Yep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, the other thing that uh, I need to make sure I acknowledge here too is like my, you know, I have a very white feminist perspective. And so uh, granted the, a person of color, their perspective of God is going to be profoundly different and profoundly more rich in a lot of ways. Sure. And, um, and so I think it's extremely wonderful that, that people of color got to go and see that movie and see God shown as someone that looks like them. And Mm. that's, that's again, only going to add to the richness and the metaphor that we use for God, for this divine being that is ultimately beyond what we look like or what we sound like or whatever our genitalia is, but um, is kind enough to give us ways to understand it with each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now in a day and time, like, now that gender identity is kind of this buzzword and a hot topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that it's important that, you know, Christians, people who follow Jesus entertain this conversation, or do you think it's just kind of giving into culture and, um, you know, kind of pacifying the way of the world, so to speak? Sure. I, I can, I can see how uh, a Christian would feel that way. Um, And I think what they're forgetting is culture has always informed how we think about God since the very beginning. And um, I don't think it's bending to culture to uh, remember that staying relevant to the real problems that people have right now is what Christians are supposed to do and not to insist on a very traditional medieval or even, you know, ancient 
Middle Eastern definition of what life should be like for someone. So for for someone who maybe doesn't identify as female or male to come to church and to have someone insist that their experience is wrong and needs to be rewound to something different, uh, that immediately makes God a very unfriendly person for them, doesn't it? And yeah. it's uh, you can't you can't just mute culture and mute the problems that people are going through when you're talking about theology and when you're deciding what God is like, because they feed each other and they always will. And it's important, especially in light of all the sexism and the Me Too movement and things that are coming to light, that I think you can draw a straight line from deciding that the male experience is neutral experience to seeing women subordinated and women treated poorly and people of color treated poorly and people of different sexual identities treated poorly. And that's going to have ramifications that we'll regret down the line because we couldn't listen. I, um, you know, Joey, I, I wanted to ask you um, how, how have your thoughts formed around this issue and around thinking of God as female? And what would that be like for you? Sure. Um, so I grew up in a house with a mom and two sisters. My dad was obviously there, um, but females were <laughs> my f- females were always around the house. Um, so I grew up pretty sensitive. I grew up pretty uh, artsy and not very manly. Uh, so, you know, fast forward kind of through my experience, uh, I've always kind of been attracted more to a softer God, to a Mm. uh, more sensitive God, to one that cares for me, to one that loves me, one that sees me. Um, And I don't connect well with the expression of God as a man's man. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I understand warrior. I I understand uh, father, especially now having a daughter. Um, But it's always been difficult for me. And when I started entertaining this idea of God as female or at least androgynous uh i watched my prayer life change i watched my bible reading change i watched Mm -hmm. uh watching the news change i I watched everything um because like you said before a lot of unlearning had to be done Mm -hmm. and a lot of uh acceptance and just willing to kind of like you said what do i lose if this isn't the way I always thought it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So starting this conversation, um, and especially looking at the church too. So I grew up uh, in the same denomination that I'm at now. There's been a journey uh, through that, but uh, it's Plymouth Brethren, and Mm -hmm. it's about as conservative as it gets. Mm -hmm. I I love it for things that it does well, Uh, but quite honestly, I really struggle with having a daughter and telling her Monday through Saturday that you are valued and you have a voice and you can do anything you want, but then going back to church and her being told the message of you are not valued, you can't do whatever you want, and you have to be silent. Yeah, and you'll never see yourself up at that podium Yeah, talking about I, I, what God is like. I really struggle with that. It's something that yeah. my wife and I talk about a lot. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think it's more important now than ever to at least start this conversation not necessarily to redefine God and take on an entire church battle single-handedly, but just to say our understanding of who God is directly correlates to how we treat people. Yeah. And I think you're so right with the fact that uh, how we 
how we connect to each other and how we connect to humans is how we connect to God. And if we can't create a space that says, maybe this isn't how you thought it was, then we're denying people an opportunity to connect with their creator. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Man, that's so interesting. You bring up like the experience of being a man where there's a certain definition of masculinity. Yeah. And like how, uh, I think a lot of the time men bristle that feminism means they're losing ground, but it actually means they get to be more themselves as well. Sure. And uh, that like your experience of God probably was also colored by like your experience of very masculine men in your life or very highly, you know, aggressive or competitive or things like that. It was an Italian household. So I I guess that (laughs) paints the picture very well. Yeah. And so even your expression of male even though that was the the given at the time was still different than what you would actually feel comfortable with or feel drawn to when it came to sure. time. Sure. And, so and that got rein, and that got reinforced every seven days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Mark funny. I, yes. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I just sent this out to, uh, to a family text. Uh, this guy's name was William Golding and he's quoted by saying this. I think women are foolish to pretend that they're equal to men. They're far superior and always have been. Whatever you give a woman, she'll make it greater. If you give her a sperm, she'll give you a baby. If you give her a house, she'll make it a home. If you give her groceries, then she'll give you a meal. If you give her a smile, she'll give you your heart. She multiplies and enlarges whatever you give to her. So if you give her any crap, be ready to receive a ton of shit. (laughs) Oh man, I've been seeing that quote floating around lately. And, uh, it's funny, but I it kind of bristles me a little bit because I feel like it's a little bit uh, reductive. Um, because I don't know if you noticed, but most of the things are basically our things a man choice. gives a woman, and that she replies back um, hmm. when our existence is not dependent on whether or not we get sperm. I didn't um, even catch that. Great call. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it kind of has a little bit of benevolent sexism in it. Uh, even though, you know, it's, it seems to be kind of a rah-rah female. It's kind of like, uh, can I just live without worrying about making a home and a baby for you? Do I have to make a meal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sorry to uh, shut down your, your fun quote. But, um. No, absolutely. Just shoot it in the face. It's fine. <laughs> okay, great. No problem. Uh, last question for you, Caroline. Uh, how does the church better engage on this issue? I mean, there's so many churches in my experience that just don't want to touch it because it's uh, complicated and there's uh, feelings involved. Uh, but, you know, given all that we've talked about, how do we better engage on this? Um, gosh, I'm going to sound so like a revolutionary because I think um, I think it's really stupid for a church to not touch this issue because it might make some people mad because you're forgetting the literal daily cost and toll that it's having on everyone. Yeah. Um, and that like, it's already a touchy issue. It's already something that's affecting people. So you need to deal with it. Um, you know, actually my local church that I'm going to, they, uh, we were doing worship one time and the, uh, worship leader just midway through the song changed the pronoun from he to she. No way. Uh, yeah. Without like, really announcing it and kind of like smiled at the crowd as he did it. (laughs) And, uh, for me, I was just such a like, Oh my God. Like I started crying because I never heard a worship song addressed to her before. And, uh, it was like, it was extremely profound for me. And I think maybe if I'm any example, like churches far and wide should realize like how profound that would feel for a lot of women. Um, 
So I'd say start talking about it and go back to the Bible and redo the Bible and examine why it's so important for you that God stays male. And I'll keep repeating myself and think about what you may lose from that. So, and what you may gain from adding in. So yeah. Uh, you're still at the mic. Uh, what's one thing you'd like to say to a church? Maybe it's your church or just church culture in general uh, that could help us move in a positive direction. It might be on the topic we're talking about or just something that you're thinking about. Oh, um, to the church, I would say thank you. Thank you so much for um, giving me a reason and space to uh, decide what's important to me and to take time to be meditative to um, be serious and to decide on these things. Um, and thank you for doing it together. And let's open up the doors wide and let people in. That's great. Uh, Caroline, thank you so much for making the time. Where can people find you online? Maybe something from culture you're digging right now? Sure. Uh, so just if you want to lose respect for me completely, you can find me online at Caroline's Farts. Uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram. That is amazing. <laughs> Um, so I'll just go ahead and get off my soapbox. Okay. Um, and, uh, you can also listen to me, of course, at Good Christian Fun. Um, it's a podcast with uh, my friend Kevin, who you had on as a guest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would, I'll just recommend this book again, She Who Is by Elizabeth A. Johnson. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me talk about this. It, it felt really good. You got it. That wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode today, your experience, and ways we can continue to create community. Visit the website at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.